He says things like, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look on him whom you pierced. Remember the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness desert? Father Steve, my husband, he preached on this story several weeks ago, if you remember. The people had been complaining and blaming God for their circumstances, even as God was miraculously providing for them. And because of this sin, God sent them biting serpents, and many died from the snake venom. The people asked Moses to pray for them, and God instructed him to make a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who was being bitten was to look at the bronze snake, and he would live. Only then would the plague stop. The snake venom's potency would be stayed. They would survive. That story always seemed so repugnant to me. Why would God ask them to do this? It seemed idolatrous to me. Weren't they told not to make any graven images? And why make an image out of the very thing that was killing them? Why was that the antidote to the snake bite's venom? Well, the cross of Jesus Christ begs the same questions. Why does God ask us to behold Jesus being crucified on a Roman cross? Why do we worship a tortured, crucified Jewish Messiah? Why do we come on a Good Friday and sing beautifully composed songs about a horribly dying man, beaten bloody and so totally disfigured in agony on a stick of wood? Jesus said about himself, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Talk about a mystery. This, this is incomprehensible. Look at this image of sin, suffering, and violent death. Believe and you will live? How can this be? Let's spend a few minutes contemplating Jesus on this cross. Let's do what God asks of us and turn our gaze to Jesus as he's lifted up on the pole. Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Son of Man. Look on him whom you have pierced. From the Garden of Gethsemane onwards, Jesus began to suffer mentally and physically. He told his disciples that his soul was deeply grieved to the point of death. Angels had to come and minister to him in order to keep him alive. The trauma he started to experience was causing him to sweat drops of blood. This is a condition 
when due to intense pressure, the capillaries under the skin swell and burst. Something profound was happening to him. Scripture tells us that he was becoming sin, that this was the devil's hour. The weight of all the sin in the world, sin of the ages past, sin of that present age, and all the future sin of the world was descending on his body and spirit. We have no way to comprehend this, none. We have never experienced anything like it, nor ever will. This was something only God himself could do. God in Jesus Christ was going to deal with the power of sin and death once and for all. Jesus' body was taking on this death even before he was arrested. The venom of sin was being manifest in his flesh. The bursting of his capillaries would have made his skin extremely sensitive to pain, even before the beatings began. Following his arrest, he was hit, he was slapped, he was spit on, and then he was beaten by the Roman lictors, a practice that was designed to bring the victim to the point of death. His skin and underlying muscles were lacerated, ripped open, exposed, and bleeding profusely. Most likely his entrails, his intestines, were exposed in this beating. Thorns were pressed into his head, causing blood to flow from his scalp. A rope was tied around his waist as he was forcibly pulled to the place of crucifixion. He was so dehydrated and weak that he could not carry the crossbeam of wood that all victims were required to carry. He fell repeatedly without the use of his arms to catch him, his body and face scraping in the dirt, the pebbles and rocks. Once hoisted onto the wooden pole, his hands and feet were nailed. Nerves were severed causing excruciating pain to continually travel up and down his limbs. He could not breathe properly, as crucifixion was designed to kill the person by asphyxiation and blood loss. His body cavity, from the neck to the hips, would have filled with fluid, swelling into a bloated mass of tissue and blood. He had become entirely disfigured, unrecognizable as a man, deformed, hideous, and repugnant, in ugly mass of human flesh. The stink probably attracted flies. The smell of blood and bodily fluid would have been nauseating. The sounds he probably made were shameful. He was naked not the perfectly adjusted loincloth that we use in paintings and crucifixes. He was naked. He was totally exposed. He became sin. He became guilty. He bore our sins in his body. 
His heart pumped out all the blood it could, every drop spilling out, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus did something that can never be done again. He obeyed his Father in taking on himself the sin of the world. He became the snake on the pole. He became the image of our sin. The snake on the pole in the desert was a representation of those people's sin. Jesus, likewise, has become our sin. When we look at Jesus on the cross, we are seeing our sin on him, his body and his life. What is so appalling and so ugly and so difficult to look at is the sin that is being demonstrated on his body. And the Father asks us to look, to behold, to see, to look on him who we pierced. We want to avert our gaze. We want to turn away. We want to hide our faces. This is too awful. This is too shameful. It's embarrassing. He is naked. He is powerless. He is weak. He is dying. To look at him is traumatic. He's being punished. We consider him the lowest of the low, someone being stricken by God, smitten by God, and afflicted. Much like Job, whom his friends kept insisting that he must have done something sinful to be afflicted this way. We have believed the same. We kick Jesus when he is taking our very own sin. We don't want to see his passion and his pain. It is too awful. Turn away, turn away. I do not want to see my sin. But God says that it is the only way to live. There is no way for the sin in our lives to be dealt with unless we look at the snake on the pole. The wages of sin, its consequences, is death. Yes, Jesus became sin. He became the image of the snake, if you will. He was willing to obey his father in doing the only thing that could defeat the works of the devil and the hold that sin has on us. And we are asked by the father to look at his son, his beloved son, his only begotten son on the cross to see him with all his blood and filth, the disfigurement, the shame, the nakedness, the darkness, to look on him whom we have pierced and be saved. Like the Israelites, look at the snake and live. This is the way God planned and designed from the beginning. This is the antidote to the snake bite. 
Be saved. Look. Behold. See. Do not turn your gaze. There is no removal of sin if you do not look. Whether sin you have committed or sin that has been done to you, you cannot see your sin apart from looking at Jesus on the cross. It is impossible. If it was possible, God would not give this command. Look on him whom you have pierced. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You must look at sin, even your own sin, but you look at it on the perfect Lamb of God. This is what it looks like. This is sin. This is what sin looks like. It kills the innocent one. Behold the man. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Behold the man. And when you look, and when you behold in awe, something happens. God says, you live. It is a mystery, a paradox. Look at the lamb who became sin, and your sin will be removed. God has made a way for our sin to be removed. He is taking away the sin of the world. That means everything. The most corrupt, gross, vile, slick, arrogant, selfish, prideful, complaining, smug, and fiendish sin is being removed. Jesus took the weight of it all on himself. Just look at his body and see what sin is. He took it. He became it and removed it. His act of obedience and love as the Son of God, as the chosen Messiah of Israel, as God incarnate, removes our sin when we look. It is the greatest act of love that has ever been done. The removal of our sin by the innocent Lamb of God, the Lamb without blemish, the perfect Lamb who always obeyed his Father in all things, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Look and be saved. This is such a mystery. There is really no explanation that can do this justice, that can satisfy our understanding of how this happens and why it happens. It is only something we can do. We can hardly speak it. Often we can't even feel it. We do it. We are speechless. We obey God's words and we do it. We respond by holding the crucified Jesus within our gaze. We look at him with awe. 
There is no promise of life without it. We don't look at ourselves. We don't look at Bible characters. We don't look at our leaders. We don't even look at the church. We look at Christ crucified. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. An ending I quote again from Isaiah 52 and 53. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness, so will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the...